deals. And Bonds hits one high. It's a deep. It is out of here. The drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. It's out of here. It's out of here. Out of here. Outside Baseball with Seth Nevsky and Drew Frank. Hello and welcome to the Outside Baseball Podcast. My name is Seth Nevsky and with me through the power of Zoom is my co-host Drew Frank. Drew, how's it going, buddy? It's going good. It's back in classes and, uh, you know, we're, it's early in the month of September, which is the month that MLB playoffs start, believe it or not. So getting closer and closer. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, my baseball playoffs to come immediately after my basketball playoffs. More excitement for <laughs> Sethi as he's stuck in Thornhill for school. Uh, meanwhile, because I'm in Thornhill and there's nothing exciting going on on days where I don't have classes uh, and I did this end of the summer as well, I just go and walk probably more than is healthy. Like, I I mean, six hour treks, like deep into Toronto, deep into Markham, just all around Thornhill because I can't handle this anymore. Podcasts are just nature. More just the monotony of my current life. And then whenever I try to, you know, like be a a responsible kid, it somehow, uh, you know, goes bad. So I just think I was meant to be some sort of hermit walking around from town to town going on trail hikes. No, I meant are you are you just enjoying the sights and sounds of nature or are you getting the music and podcasts? A bit of both. A bit of both for sure. Uh, I've been re-listening to a bunch of music because now I'm just like, I feel like most people when they're like 40, they just decide to stop listening to new music. But my taste is expansive enough at the current moment that I can, you know, at at least just go off of this now. I don't need to dig quite as deep as I was previously. And yeah, I'm listening to some podcasts, but a lot of the time, you know, I'm just uh, worried if I'm going to spot coyotes if I go, you know, if I go uh, rural instead of urban. Right. There's a coyote. Sorry, uh, we're going to get into actual baseball stuff very soon. But I may have mentioned this to you personally, but I don't don't think on the pod. So I need to drive somewhere. And then I just open my door and there's a a coyote staring at me in the face, like at my front door. So I'm just like, I'm just going to stay inside. I don't care if I'm late for this appointment because because I don't want to get eaten, Drew. This is what we're working with in Thornhill at the moment. I know that you escaped to Toronto. I know. I, I didn't even heard that. There have been coyotes all around. People feed them, which uh, not smart. You shouldn't do that. Uh Uh-huh. So now they're just real comfortable around people. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. We have some, like, back home, but never. I've only seen, I think, maybe two in my whole life. So never face-to-face either. Yeah, and then my psychotic friend, sorry, my psychotic friend who lives semi-near me, he's like, oh, you're so lucky. He wants to, like, be next to a coyote, (laughs) like, in person. (laughs) I don't know why. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay, I'm really sorry for these tangents. I've just been slowly going crazy here, but it's fine because now we're going to talk about probably, I guess, the least important, but one of the most fun parts of the MLB, uh, and that is the All-Star Game. So there's no All-Star Game this year, but we're more than halfway done the season. So I tasked Drew with making full All-Star Team rosters for what would be the AL and the NL of this season. And we're just going to go through them to talk about any questions that I have about certain players who seem to be new to the scene. There are also a bunch of familiar guys who have been here time and time again. Uh, So, Drew, are you ready for that? Yeah, sounds good. All right, do you want to just go position by position on this? Sure. Uh, You want to go through one league first or back and forth, or how do you want to handle this? 
Oof. I think let's go back and forth, but by position, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's start with the catchers, Yasmani Grandel of the Chicago White Sox in the AL, and then in the NL, JT Realmuto of the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I'm, I'm quite familiar with both of them. Uh, you've spoken of Grandel's abilities as a catcher and offensively uh, for the past few years and how he's kind of been one of the best-hitting catchers in the league. And Realmuto, I looked at his fan graphs, and uh, since I stopped watching in about 2016, I was surprised to see a few seasons above four war, but I guess, you know, he's been playing really well recently as well. And he's taken strides on the defensive side as well, Realmuto has. Guy that, when he was with Miami, didn't necessarily have the strongest arm and the most accurate uh, at gunning out runners, but he's developed that part of his game. And like you said about Grandal, <laughs> kind of tough timing because we're recording this on the 9th, and last night, the 8th, of September, there was a play at the plate where the White Sox got walked off because on a ball hit right back to the pitcher, they went home for the force out, and Grindall just straight up dropped it. So, (laughs) like you said, though, sample size, he's been good defensively and offensively. A guy that was just signed as a free agent and his counterpart here in the National League, Real Muto, a guy that's heading to become a free agent in this coming offseason. So, a couple interesting, I guess, mirrors there. But, uh, yeah, these guys are pretty clear-cut in both leagues. So, you know, being that uh, the league and, I guess, everyone in North America in general has experienced a a level of economic downfall, how much do you think he will get? I doubt he'll be hunted as much as a Mookie Betts, per se, but, I mean, it's rare to find a catcher this, this good on both sides of the plate, I guess. Yeah, and he's relatively young still. And it's tough to predict dollar values because we don't know how much of a depression overall value will have. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy that most contenders would want. I think, on paper, I think he fits nice with a team like the Astros who are losing George Springer and won't have to pay that money. They have some cash freed up. They could go after a guy like him. The Dodgers, Justin Turner, they won't have to pay for anymore. So there are there are some teams that might want a real Mew, though, but uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to put a dollar value on it, I guess I'll say. Uh-huh, and next we head to first base, uh, and there are two guys I'm familiar with, probably just two of my, my, like, pet favorite guys, even though, you know, it's really for weird reasons why I like them. Uh, Luke Voigt, of course, of the New York Yankees. This would be his first time as an All-Star, but I believe he did really well last year, kind of unexpectedly. And my liking of him is because he just has, like, he's clearly strong, but I've seen pictures of him. He has, like, the weirdest body I've ever seen. He looks like like his body was made out of memory foam pillows, almost. <laughs> like, it, it, he's he's, like, round, but muscular. And I've seen him bench, like... 135 with one hand which is is just pretty pretty impressive uh, I don't think I could do that uh, and and yeah just uh he's been slugging it this year 153 WRC plus and um, 14 home runs already in 38 games and last year in 118 games uh, 126 WRC plus so good but not all-star level for a first baseman necessarily and he wasn't an all-star in 21 home runs so um, do you think that Voigt is here to stay? 
Well, this year, I mean, he's definitely the guy. It's either him or Jose Abreu, whoever you want to start at first base. But they both are one shy of the MLB lead in home runs. They both got 14. But for Voigt, I mean, last year you, you touched on it. We saw him come up and have a whole lot of playing opportunity. It was going to be him or Greg Bird were kind of the two guys back in 2015-16 for the Yankees. And Bird has burned out and it's really not much there. But Voigt got a chance last year, got all sorts of at-bats when the Yankees were injured. He himself was injured for a bit. But like you said, the strength is there. The power is there. He's batting in the two-hole this year for the Yankees as of late. He's been batting right around the middle of the order. And he's 29 years old, so there's still a whole lot left in his career. But, yeah, I mean, he's got the hitting skills. The glove is just about average for a first baseman, maybe a touch below average, but valuable guy for sure. And, of course, a very familiar name, Freddie Freeman. He's one of my favorites because he's both kind of Jewish and kind of Canadian. He's kind of Canadian, I think, through one of his parents. Yes, his father's from Windsor, Ontario, and he's kind of Jewish, even though he's not Jewish, because his last name's Freeman, and that sounds pretty Jewish. So, you know, probably surefire Hall of Famer at this point, right? He's just been one of the best first basemen in the MLB pretty much since 2013, and, and has been pretty consistent on that end. So, what else do you have to say about someone who's been here, you know, a few times before, four times before, actually, in uh, Freddie Freeman? Well, it's always tough to say surefire Hall of Famer when he's only his age 30 season this year, and so much of that depends on longevity. I'm but sorry. Yeah, he's, <laughs> no, no he's, he's, he's right around halfway to the 3,000 hit mark. You know, he's got a career batting average right around 300. He's a guy that, like you said, been around the top of the league for so long. He can do it defensively, and he got out of the gate this year with a really tough start. Wasn't able to hit all that well. I think he had a game in Tampa Bay where he went either 0 for 4 or 0 for 5 with four strikeouts and then turned things around quickly because he was one of the guys that was out with COVID-19 and one of the guys that said it really hit him hard. He wasn't asymptomatic. He had bad breathing issues and that really set him back, but he's really turned to the rounds and been a big part of that Braves lineup since he got things right. Yeah, and for a dude who's been as good as Freeman has been for his entire career, and obviously he's only played 42 games so far, but career highs in batting average, OBP, uh, think second best in his career slugging, and the best WRC plus in his career by 18. So he has just been incredible this season despite the COVID struggles. Yeah, and, and like I said, this is a team that... We talked in many episodes before about how close that NL East was supposed to be, and the Braves have pulled away. He is a big part of that, even despite all the pitching health problems they've had lately. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go on to second base, starting in the AL, of course. We have a guy whose name I once mispronounced, so it's not going to happen again. Brandon Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Rays have been on fire, for sure. Uh, And Lau, 82 games, 2.6 war last season, uh, despite, you know, he's not going to play as many games this season for obvious reasons, but better WRC plus, And this would actually be his second all-star because he was an all-star in his rookie season, even though, uh, what's his name? Alvarez won AL rookie of the year last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jordan Alvarez. That's right. Yeah. So Alvarez won rookie of the year last year, but you know, needless to say, Lau in his first 122 games in the MLB has been very, very good for the Tampa Bay Rays. 
Yeah, and he's been good all season long. He just came off a stretch where he went 0 for 20. I just traded from in fantasy baseball, so of course he was due for that. Uh, but break. before that, he was absolutely hitting really nicely. And the reason that he's here and the reason behind a lot of his success is he's right up at the top of a lot of those baseball savant, advanced stats, metric, stat cast leaderboards, barrels, hard hits, ideal exit velocity, and launch angle. He is up there among the leaders in all of those categories because he just has such a great swing and it got him out to what was an absolutely red hot start to the season he was hitting right around 340 at one point in mid-august and a key piece for this tampa bay lineup that at first glance might not seem to have too much star power but it's been getting it done for them uh-huh before we move on to the nl second baseman let's just go through and i think it's pretty indicative right away that despite you know the Yankees being middle of the AL East and the Rays being way out in front they each only have one all-star so what's the reason for that for the Rays well for the Rays it's because their whole pitching has been by committee and their bullpen and even their starting situation we saw Charlie Morton really get eased into the season he was only throwing about 60 pitches before he got hurt came back he threw I believe only 36 or 38 in his first start back from injury Blake Snell also a guy that they really eased into things a lot of teams right out of the gate were letting their pitchers go eight innings like the guy we're going to mention the AL starter Shane Bieber he was going deep in the games right from the beginning uh Trevor Bauer another guy was throwing 110 plus right right from the start of the season but the Rays have been very cautious with Snell, with Glasnow, with Morton, with a few of the other guys, Yarbrough. And because of that, you're not going to have really any contenders for their starting pitcher spot. And their bullpen has been so hurt. They've been so hurt. I wanted to put Nick Anderson in there, but he was out for, I believe, what was ended up being three weeks. Uh, a lot of their guys have been hurt, and they just really haven't had the opportunity to get to that all-star level. Meanwhile, the Yankees have also been incredibly hurt. And unlike, I guess, the Rays this year or the Yankees themselves last year, they've not played as well uh, at 500 in the, a- in the AL East. And uh, I believe they're on like a five-game losing streak or something. Is that true, Drew? Yeah. As of right now, the Yankees have lost five in a row and 15 of their last 20. Yeah. So so they obviously are. They're probably uh, just, just, you know, for that check mark of every team has an all-star, they avoid here or... You know, because everyone else has been so incredibly hurt. And even Void himself was on the IL for a bit. It's just the way yeah. things have gone for New York. Uh-huh. So moving on, I guess, uh, we're going to go to the NL second baseman. And that, of course, is Mr. Trey Turner of the Washington Nationals. And once again, uh, the All-Star game works out kind of weird where the Nationals have uh, three guys. But they are very much disappointing for the... Uh, I guess, reigning MLB World Series champs right now at 16 and 25. But, hey, Turner has been an absolute killer offensively. So what do you think is making him go from 117 WRC plus last year to 171 this season? Well, I mean, that kind of is tough to pinpoint one thing. But something I've noticed from him is there have been a lot more line drives. And 
you had seen, I believe it was 2018, there was one year where he was noticeably trying to sell out for power, and that might sound bad, but we've seen some people do that, and it's worked for them. We've seen some people really elevate from around 20 home runs to around 40 home runs, but for Turner, it just wasn't his thing. He's flattened out his swing a little bit, uh, gotten rid of the uppercut, and is just playing how you want a speedy bat-first shortstop to be playing. We've got him shoehorned in here at second base because really there is no one close enough to make it worthwhile benching Turner. Um, mm-hmm. He's been very good. You know Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be the starting shortstop, so he couldn't take that role. We haven't seen Turner play second base as of late, but in the All-Star game you do see people slide around in that type of position swapping. But uh, yeah, he's been good, and you mentioned a few other guys of their stars have been good, but... They haven't had that next level of depth, support, and value. And that's something we really saw from them last year as they made that playoff run where we got Daniel Hudson coming out of nowhere and Howie Kendrick. And they had a few guys that really just stepped up when they needed to. Kurt Suzuki, how many times did he have big hits for them? This year, it hasn't been the case. You lose Strasburg, you lose Rendon to two very different uh, paths. And that's just all it is, really. Speaking of losing Rendon, that is the AL's third baseman, uh, and I've constantly talked about this guy as just for the casual baseball fans being pretty underappreciated, but just another awesome year from Rendon, 163 WRC+, just killing the ball and doing it well on both ends for the Angels, even though the Angels themselves, 17 and 26, so they've also disappointed a fair bit. Yeah, and Rendon, right away, he got off to a really cold, cold start. By August 15th, he was still hitting under 200 on the season. You flash forward a week, and by the 22nd, he's already hitting over 300. He had a crazy 15-game hit streak where he was just mashing the ball. A lot of extra base hits in there. You mentioned the glove. Defense doesn't slump. He's been good. And a, a big piece for this Angels lineup because if you assume 2020 is a wash you know they sold some pieces at the deadline 2021 he's here Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like when you see a lot of these contracts even the Bryce Harper one they committed to him for 13 years because they figure even if right away they weren't ready to contend he'll be there for their window and Rendon hitting well in 2020 even if it's not really going to go for much as a last place team it's a great sign for next year. All right, and now we head to the third base in the NL, and I got to say, my Tingler uh, Manager of the Year pick might look pretty good, I guess, just because the Padres have been 27-17, and 17, uh, and we got Manny Machado at third base having the best hitting season of his career with a 149 WRC+, best batting average of his career, 308, uh, best OBP, best slugging, so he's just been killing the ball, and that's the thing about a shortened year. Right Where it's like a bunch of these guys are going to either put up way career highs or way career lows just because of the small sample size. Yeah, and for Machado, you've seen flashes, but there hasn't been sustained success as much as we've seen from him this year. And that's even with a relatively slow start to the season. He's just been red hot as of late, getting himself right into the home run chase, the MVP chase. Looking really good. I mean, we passed on Hosmer for first base, but he had been hitting really well, approaching career highs for himself, too. This Padres team, there's something about them, man. They just, they seem to just night after night be able to put up great offensive performances. We saw them hit a grand slam in the first inning last night. It's just something. They, they've really turned the page on hitting. 
So moving on to the AL shortstop, one of the most electrifying players in the MLB, uh, and one of seven Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson, uh, who, hey, how many times am I going to say it so far? He's been slugging the ball this year with career highs in just about every hitting stat. Yeah, and that's something you see in a lot of All-Star games, to be honest. You see a lot of guys that, when you look back five, six years later, you're thinking, man, this guy was an All-Star just because it was a one standout career season. But Tim Anderson, not one of those guys. He, he's he been, I mean, he was the reigning AL batting title. He led the league in average last year, so that's something. But we've seen power from him, and... Uh, where did it come from? Not necessarily sure. This is a team that's stacked with power. I mean, maybe it's a hitting coach. Maybe it was some player on player teaching or mechanical adjustment. But yeah, he, he had a multi home run game not too long ago. Just he's been really hitting well. And uh, next we get to the NL shortstop. And, you know, you made these rosters, but. Like, I feel like I could have guessed who would have been NL shortstop, Fernando <laughs> Tatis Jr., who, maybe this is way early to say, but at 21, he might already, you know, be uh, be Mike Trout's heir apparent for best player in the league, just a couple hours south of Trout, which, uh, you know, incredible, I guess, so far. Yeah, and he's a little flashier than Trout in terms of play style and personality, but he brings the speed, he brings the glove, he brings the strong arm, and can do pretty much all everything you'd want on a baseball field. We've seen him lead the league in home runs pretty much all year long. He's managed to, I mean, stay incredibly consistent. He led the league in OPS for quite some time all the way through until I believe it was just last week where Nelson Cruz passed him. But still tied for that 15 home run leads. And like I said, you've got more value than just the bat with what he brings in terms of energy and a presence in that clubhouse. And this San Diego team just seems almost unstoppable. Yeah, and they have five all-stars. So, you know, you see some teams with one, some teams with five to seven, I guess. But hey, there have been all-star games like that before. Uh, So we just talked about Anderson and the AL for shortstop, and now we'll get to another White Sox, Luis Robert, and uh, we spoke to him. I believe he was one of your guys to watch for Rookie of the Year. Uh, I saw him in a few articles as well, and wow, has he impressed in his first season. Yeah, he's been really good. We've seen the power really manifest itself, and the glove has surprised me. We've seen him make multiple diving plays. We've seen him make some strong throws in the outfield. Seems really ready to be that major league center fielder. And that's a quick note I did want to mention. All three of these outfielders, unfortunately, in the AL are center fielders. That's just kind of the way it (laughs) it shakes out. Yeah, I realize that as well. In the National League, there's one left, one center, and one right fielder, so it works out a little better. But Mm -hmm. Robert, I mean, in an all-star game, if I'm thinking realistically how it would probably go down, he's either in left or right, but you know Mike Trout, just for the respect of it all, he would be the, the center fielder there. But, yeah, probably the favorite for Rookie of the Year heavily. I mean, Kyle Lewis got out to a pretty big head start, but Robert has, has pulled away. And beyond the bat, the speed, the defense, he's, he's been so good. All right, now we head to the left fielder in the NL. Once again, one of the more exciting young players in the MLB for different reasons than, uh, than Tatis necessarily, but... He was our Luca comparison. Was that a couple episodes ago or was that last, I think a couple episodes ago? Uh, and rightfully so. 208 WRC plus this year. 
That is insane, and it's only in 28 games, but, I mean, hey, it's hard not to pick Soto for one of your outfield spots, for sure. And when I said that Cruz took the lead for OPS, it's only because Soto isn't qualified yet because he was out with COVID for so long. He's got a 12-15 OPS. That's almost a full 100 points higher than Cruz, who's the current league leader. He just needs, I think, maybe one week or so, and he'll be qualified once again for all these titles. And he is probably my MVP pick. right As of right now, he would be. For the rest of the season, he's really going to have to battle the voters for the fact that he is not carrying his team in the playoffs, and a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. is seemingly carrying his team right into that number two spot in the West, but the numbers are just so good, and we've seen him hit some huge home runs. He's already got, I think, three over 440 feet, just looking so good this season. And uh, next we go to a, a very familiar name, uh, the AL center fielder. Of course, we're talking about Mike Trout, who it, it start, he started the season for his terms slow, but I believe like last time I looked, it was a 140 WRC plus. Now it's all the way back to like 178, which is right there with the 180 he had last year. So I guess more of the same from Trout or at least a similar level of dominance, even though his OBP has gone slightly down and the slugging's gone slightly up. Do you think that that's a conscious choice or do you think it's just how things have worked out so far? I think so. I think that is really the only change in his game. You're seeing more power. You're seeing him right up with Tatis tied for the MLB lead in home runs despite the fact he went on paternity leave, you know, mm-hmm. despite the fact that he's taken some time off and a, a few extra days. If you look at, at what the two guys have done so far, I mean, the home runs are both 15 and 15, but Tatis has had 28 more plate appearances than Trout has, and that's a fair chunk. I mean, whether it's intentional that he's going for a bit more power or and the on-base drops a little bit or just his on-base from last year is insane, I, I think he's getting more strikes considering their lineup is stronger. So you see the walks go down, you see the on-base go down, and you see more balls in the play. The slugging goes up. I think maybe that might make some sense. But it's really the same trout we've seen for the past few years, just with the avid dad strength now of having a kid. Yeah, I guess that's a, a bit of Van Vliet in him for sure. <laughs> uh, so next we head to another Californian, and I guess there have been a fair bit so far. Mike Yastrzemski, uh, excuse me there, uh, that wasn't because of his last name, I don't know why, I just stumbled for whatever reason, but <laughs> the NL center fielder, odd career, I guess, pulled up last year at age 29, where he was really good, and he's only improved on that in his age 30 season, where he, you know, 158 WRC+, plus. I feel like I should just say, stop saying all these WRC+, pluses because it's kind of stupid at this point, but, uh, but yeah, he, he started off real hot. I guess he slowed down a bit, but on the entire season, I mean, he, he's still putting up big numbers for sure. No, I'm a big fan of WRC+. Plus. I, I'd keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Just these numbers are so enormous. Like, yeah. Even more than previous All-Stars because of the tiny sample. Well, and exactly. He's here as the lone giant representative, but he's here not out of pity or just because you have to have a giant year. He's earned this spot. He's looked very good so far playing with that 
big center field out there in San Fran and we've seen him put multiple balls into the bay already the big splash hits coming out for Yaz he's been a very valuable part of this team that we've talked about the Yankees and the Rays and a few of these other teams that we might be surprised about I mean you can't not mention the Giants who are sitting above 500 right now when so many people had them well below 500 I took the under on the win prediction for them, the pitching staff is not any real established names. Most of the lineup are guys that have been unproven, but Yastrzemski's leading the way. And this team, yeah, 22-21 and 21 on the season, sitting in that wildcard spot in the National League. Yeah, and now we go to right field in the AL. And we started the year, uh, and just with a few games in, we did the uh, new season who dis thing, where we, we kind of talked about some of the guys who got off to real hot starts uh and the name Kyle Lewis was mentioned and I was kind of skeptical of him just because he never really put up big hitting numbers in the minor leagues and then you brought up a guy uh Cody Bellinger uh I'm, I'm sure baseball fans are familiar with him <laughs> who was also not that great in the minor leagues and I, I, that sounded like a flattering comparison at the time but now I think Lewis looks at that and goes man I'm better than Cody Bellinger at this point <laughs> with his .6 war. Uh, and yeah, he's just been awesome. Uh, I guess I'll keep going with the WRC pluses, even though they're absolutely ridiculous for just about every player here, but 153. Uh, he's just slugging the ball in his rookie year. Uh, giant guy at 6'4", 210. And, uh, and yeah, a, a guy who is typically playing center, but for this team is playing right because, you know, they, they just have three center fielders out there for the AL. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Lewis is on this list and Bellinger isn't, so how's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually, I sent you off the podcast a graph of Lewis's rolling strikeout rate because he just decided at some point in the fourth or fifth week of the season, he just wasn't going to strike out. Clearly discovered something maybe with the hitting coach, maybe looking at his own video, and the strikeout rate's gone way down for him, and that was a big problem early on and something he's gotten under control. So big factor there, but beyond that, I mean, he's just he's had the power really showing. We saw a little bit of it towards the end of last year, but again, the sample size was so small, you never really know how much you can trust September call-ups when there's a lot of AAA pitchers on the mound for the opposition, but he's continued that. He's looked really good, and for Seattle, they've had a tough season. Uh, it's hard to frame it as any other way to look at it, but he's been good for them. By the way, speaking of Kyle Lewis, and of course I talked about their pretty equivalent size, he and Cody Bellinger, but now I'm looking at their pages and they've the same date of birth. <laughs> wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that at all. It's kind of odd because uh, Bellinger started his career a lot sooner, but he, all, he was also drafted out of high school, I believe, where uh, Lewis was drafted through college. Uh, Bellinger 2013, Lewis 2016. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next we head to right field, and we have a Dodger, but it's not Bellinger because he's been uh, not very good this year. Uh, it is Mookie Betts, who you mentioned how uh, they only have one center fielder in the NL, but, I mean, this guy's kind of been a pseudo-center fielder for most of his career, even though he's mostly been placed in right. Yeah, he is very good defensively with range, with arm, he uh, he's he's been doing it all though. He we saw him put up a three home run game. We've seen him do all sorts of things in that new Dodger blue. A lot of Boston fans kicking themselves, looking at what their ownership decided to do with <laughs> trading away. But 
Similar to what we said with Trout, it's just he continues to do what he's always done, and really not much to say here. Well, I'm just happy that Boston now doesn't have all their teams being good. Like, I think that this was a long time coming. Yeah. You know, you're going to have, you still have a good basketball team. You have a good hockey team. Who knows about the Patriots? I'm not much of a football guy, but obviously going through a, a transition there. So yeah, this is deserved. I'm glad that you're basically getting, you know, uh, minor leaguers to, uh, to start <laughs> games for you. I think that that's a, a great thing to do, giving these old guys a chance, I guess. So next we get to DH. Speaking of old guys, I guess in 2017, or like when I was just out of baseball, you could have told me this guy retired and I would have believed you, but he hasn't, and he's been, he's still been awesome. Yeah. And it, he's had kind of a weird career. Nelson Cruz, who has been one of the best hitters in the AL at age 40. And, you know, I, I, I often misuse Hall of Famer or whatever. I'm really not sure about him. I'm going to lean no, but he's, he's had a good long career for sure yeah it it won't happen for him unfortunately i mean mm-hmm. he's got 1700 hits 1770 hits he's got just over 400 home runs he would have to play for probably two or three more seasons to get to the 500 mark and as a guy that doesn't play defense you know you're already fighting an uphill battle yeah so a little bit late to get his power really going in his career, but this season, I mean, he's a lock for the AL spot for DH. He's, I've already mentioned him, I think, at least three times when comparing him to other people. It's him, Tatis, and Trout in a three-way tie for the league lead in home runs, and he's got sole possession of the lead in OPS. He's just, he's hitting, he's a DH, that's his job, and really uh, timeless. Not, not much else to say. For sure, and now we will move on to the other DH, a newer fella, a guy who I, I probably I'm probably less familiar with him than a lot of other guys here, uh, Jesse Winker, who has been awesome this year. W- once again, just a stupid WRC plus at 161, but I mean, in a shortened season, you can't ask for much more, and uh, and yet he's just been really good. So can you tell me what this dude Winker is all about? Well, he has really been their their best hitter because they got Matt Davidson as who they thought might be their DH to start this year. He's been DFA'd just this past week after they actually had him as their DH on opening day, batting in the six hole, but he turned out to not really have much going for him. But Jesse Winker, I mean, going by baseball reference war, he's the only batter on their team with a war over one. Their next best batter I mean is Kirk Casale who's seventh on their team in war and that's just because of the defensive value they just haven't had anyone hitting for him and for Jesse Winker he's been great on his own I mean you said just (laughs) unreal WRC plus as half the list has had and a guy that's only 26 so he's he's emerging and he showed flashes in the past. He he had a pretty good year last year to start. The numbers didn't quite look as impressive at the time the year was done, but he's yet to put together a full season. He's yet to really get a full starting job. He's got it this year and he's looked really good with it. And now we head to the AL backup catcher and we have Pedro Severino who I should probably stop just because, like, he's never even resembled anything close to this in his career. But 150 WRC plus for comparison in 96 games in 2019, he was 94, and in 70 games in 2018, so still doubling this year, 
31. So, like, does this repeat? Is he just, is this just good luck? Like, his walk rate's slightly up, his K rate's slightly down. And uh, obviously, you know, there's a bit more power and contact than we're used to seeing. But is there any reason to trust this? Well, I mean, he's been holding zone defensively, and he's only 26. He's not a free agent until 2024. So from Baltimore's perspective, there's no reason not to trust this. He'll be one of their catchers for quite some time. I mean, The fact that you said one of their catchers and this is their lone all-star is kind of concerning, though, is it not? Well, the, the reason that I, I'm saying that is because they just used the first pick of the 2018, no, the 2019 draft on a catcher. Mm-hmm. So... Adley Rushman is the guy. He's going to be coming up shortly. Probably, uh, we'll probably see him in towards the end of next year or full time to start in 2022. But Chance Sisko was supposed to be their guy, top prospect forever. Hasn't really worked out so well. And Pedro Severino has just run away. I mean, you've got a catcher hitting 325 with his batting average and an OBP over 400. You, you just keep riding this until it, it disappears for you. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you said he's holding his own on the defensive end, and that seems to be true, but he doesn't, you know, just from the numbers, doesn't seem to be all that great a catcher. So do you think Severino perhaps moves positions? I I really don't think, because he's sitting right around league average, right? He's not great per yeah. se, but I mean, he's he's a guy that you can put it catcher and get that offense from. I think you use it. You've already got Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Chris Davis signed a handful of guys, Rio Ruiz, Hanser Alberto as your corner infielders that you don't really have too much of an opening there to be getting anyone else. So I, I think as of right now, they would keep him as catcher. And now moving on to the backup catcher in the NL, we have Jacob Stallings who I mean, he was okay last year. Mostly his war came from the defensive end. In 71 games, he was 1.3 with 12 DF and negative uh, 5 OFF. But this year, I guess for his, you know, usual performance, killing the ball with a 120 WRC+, plus, is this, I, I, I'm not sure if I should say this, but is he the worst all-star here? Like, who do you think is the worst all-star here? I mean, probably, but... He has more value than some of the relief pitchers, I would say, probably. Hard to hard to tell, but yeah, as Pittsburgh's lone representative, he got the spot out of partly by default, partly because you need a representative, but he has been by far the best catcher. Sorry, he's been by far the best player on the Pirates team. There hasn't really been any other standouts per se. And you talk about defensive value. The highest defensive value, according to Fangraphs, in the entire National League for catchers so far. He's got that sole possession. He's ahead of Yadier Molina, which, albeit it is a counting stat, so maybe if the Cardinals weren't out for so long, he wouldn't be up high. But still, he's looked good. He's hitting right around 300 on the season. You mentioned his WRC Plus is looking pretty good. Again, you have to realize for a catcher, you're not going to really get too, too much out of that offensive position. And then you see Severino, yeah. and you're like, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> there are a few other guys, like Christian Vasquez in the AL might have competed with Severino, but again, we need an Oriole in here. Yadier Molina as well, but again, you need a Pirate. So there are, are some positions where you do have to consider the balance of the teams, but Stallings for being a good defensive catcher on what's been a shaky pitching staff i mean you gotta give credit where credit's due 
Yeah, for sure, and they certainly need one. Speaking of a team that's that's played very well, but they seem very much like a collective, so they also needed an all-star. And, hey, I, I mean, he's been far and away their best player, even though I believe currently he's hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez of the Toronto Blue Jays, who, I mean, he's been a solid hitter for the past three years, but not near 163 WRC+. plus. His average, uh, which is 308 this season, hadn't cracked... 261, and that was in 27 games uh, in 2017. So that was his previous high in a season uh, on a tiny sample. And, um, I mean, walk rate is uh, is is not very good, but it really hasn't been throughout his entire career. But, you know, once again, just killing the ball. So do you think that, like, I don't expect him to have 163 every year, but do you think that this is, say, a 130 guy going into a full season? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you like what you see, and he's young enough that you got to consider that this is not just a fluke. This is kind of showing some potential, sitting right around the league in home runs when he got hurt, and unfortunately, it looks like he might be out for quite some time. We don't know exactly, but I, I will tell you, the first MRI they took on him, they couldn't even read it because there was so much swelling, which I, I'm not a doctor. That doesn't sound overly great. Yeah. He's on the IL for oblique injury officially, but there was a problem with his back, and we don't know necessarily the scale or scope of that problem. But for what he did, he was he was very strong. Him and Randall Gritchick both kind of were going off at in turn and that Blue Jays outfield, and now it's been Lourdes Gurriel's turn of late, and the three of them have been very surprising for a team that really didn't know what they were going to get out of their outfield this year. A bit of a tangent here. If this were to come into play and the Jays need to replace a representative with another representative, who would kind of be your second up? Because, like I said, they've been playing well, but it's kind of been more of a collective, I guess. Like, Biggio, Gurriel, and Grichik, as you mentioned, have... uh, have all been pretty solid, same as my boy, fellow Heeb, uh, Rowdy Telez, and then, you know, the staff, uh, Ryu, has been pretty solid, but who would be your guy uh, to replace him in that All-Star game? Well, I, I think Rowdy Telez is a good option, but he is also hurt, so we can't, can't go with him. Yeah, he uh, his knee is acting up right now. We, he's, he was pulled from yesterday's game. We don't know if he's going on the aisle, what's going to happen with him, but seems that might be in the forecast. So I'll go with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I mentioned he's been very good lately. He's got his average up over 300, OPS plus of 127. And defensively, his glove is not the greatest, I guess, is, is a, the way you'd say it. It's serviceable. I think it's slightly above league average. He's got a great arm, though, out there and provides value that way. And a pretty good all-around hitter. I mean, he is 26, but he's only played just over 162 games. He's He's actually right around the 190 mark for games played, which really isn't all that much for a young hitter, and it seems he's, as he's maturing, I mean, this is a guy that's not a free agent until 2025, he's going to be with the Jays for some time, and I I think giving him an all-star nod might be a little bit of a stretch, but if you need a representative, he could be the guy. Yeah, and, you know, replacing an outfielder with an outfielder, so that kind of makes some sense as well. Uh, now we move to another outfielder for the NL, uh, Michael Conforto who uh, I, I've heard of this guy for sure, and I know he's pretty pretty good. Uh, but I believe, uh, oh, one of two Mets representatives, because, of course, you can't forget, uh, you know, their pitcher, who 
I don't want to say his name quite yet, but I'm sure if you follow even a touch of baseball, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, just two representatives. I guess not the best year for the Mets as a whole. But yeah, Conforto's been playing well for sure. Yeah, he has. And there are a few people I was kind of considering. I mean, Robinson Cano could be a representative for this Mets team. He's been good. Jake Cronenworth for the Padres, another guy that really could deserve the nod. He's He's also really stood out. But Conforto, I mean, a guy that a lot of people have liked for quite some time when you look at scouting and evaluations and just talks around the league. A very talented guy with a sweet swing that can really hit righties. But whether it's been injuries or slumps or just not seeing the ball well, it hasn't really come to fruition over the scope of a full season. But so far, so good for him. You said it yourself, the Mets haven't really been clicking, but him and the pitcher that you don't want to name, I'll, I'll, I'll respect that not dropping his name either. But the two of them, they've, they've looked good. Uh-huh. And now uh, we move on to another outfielder in the AL. And hey, uh, a lot of people in Boston did not like the Mookie trade, but I mean, goddamn, has Alex Verdugo looked good. 136 WRC+, plus, 1.5 WAR in 41 games. He was good last year with the Dodgers, 2.2 WAR in 106 games and a 114 WRC+. Plus. And yeah, he's 24 years old. So, you know, Drew, you, you'd be able to say more than I, but it's probably not done for him. No, no, he looks he looks good, and he's looked ready for some time. It's just the Dodgers have had so many star outfielders. There hasn't been space for him to get at-bats. So they move him on from him. They pick up Mookie Betts. I mean, obviously the Dodgers not regretting their end of the deal. But Boston, right away, they get to see some of the upside that Verdugo brings because, like you said, he's looked really good. They lose Benintendi. He was awful. Now he's hurt. He's done for the year. Verdugo fills that spot nicely. They also pick up Jeter Downs in that trade, who a lot of scouts and front office people are pretty high on. But Verdugo just, it, it seems like the season even though it's not going well, it seems like they're right in it by how much you see him playing hard and hustling and really giving it, and it seems like a great piece for their franchise moving forward. So the early returns from Verdugo probably, I guess, make the makes the bets trade look a bit more digestible. Do you think there's a world in which uh, the, the Sox win the, the bets trade, perhaps if bets signs elsewhere, or even if he does resign? Like, is there a possibility in which the Sox somehow won the deal in which they gave away arguably a top five position player in the league. Yeah, Betts, Betts re-signed long-term with the Dodgers. Just oh my as, God, I forgot about that. I'm so yeah, sorry. <laughs> just as the season was starting. So he he's locked up. And I think Boston might have had an argument for winning the trade if Verdugo does turn into a perennial all-star and Betts walked. But you know Betts is going to be, at this point, making a run for the Hall of Fame. With the trajectory mm-hmm. his career is on, he's going to be in Los Angeles long term. I think at this point, it's unless they knew they couldn't resign him, they knew he wanted out, they knew there was a rift between him and the management of the front office. This doesn't look great. Ah. I mean, especially when you you talked earlier about the how the market's going to be affected by COVID and, and the league closing down and everything. It seems like a lot of these guys are resigning because they don't want to test this open, uncertain market and just tough circumstances that they move on from bets this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now we move on to another product of the tingle, uh, I guess you could say. I guess you could. <laughs> uh-huh. I got to think of some more stuff there. That's just too good a name. You know, like Jace Tingler? That's perfect, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
that kid was bored and his parents are like, he's going to be a manager or in the circus with that name. Those were the only two <laughs> options. But anyways, another Padre, Trent Grisham, who 126 WRC+, plus, not as crazy as many others on the list, but I mean, he's 23 years old. Uh, he was the 15th overall pick in 2015. So, you know, I'd assume there are probably going to be more in this case, real all-star appearances in the future. But, I mean, he's just been great on both ends. Yeah, and like I had mentioned, their third representative beyond Machado and beyond Tatis, at least in terms of position players, I feel like you could have gone a couple directions. Cronenworth has been really, really good, but Grisham, I didn't want to overlook him just because of how much he kind of came out of nowhere. Because they had Luis Urias as a top prospect for them as a middle infielder, second baseman for so long. You kept hearing about, oh, Tatis is coming, Urias is coming, Mackenzie Gore is coming as kind of like the three biggest pillars of this rebuild. And they move on from him. They, they're, they're done. They ship him off to Milwaukee to get Trent Grisham back, a guy that... I hadn't really been too familiar with until he booted that ball in the wildcard game and cost Milwaukee their season. But he gets a fresh shot out here in San Diego. He's batting near the top of the lineup, and he has just hit. And you said he's been great defensively. He's been good. Just about everything you can ask for him really emerging as only 23 years old, a guy that's going to be in the league for quite some time. And now we head to the next guy who I guess is just, He's one of those guys, he seemed to come into the MLB as a vet, and I never really saw him as like a, a high-caliber all-star player, but I guess in the shortened season and just with the Tigers' lack of options, he's kind of been forced into that. Jonathan Scope, who, despite playing 39 games, his lowest mark since playing five games in 2013, actually has the third-highest war of his career already, uh, 128 WRC+. Plus. Uh, career high in average uh, in OBP, even though that's still only 344, and also slugging. So, I mean, this is just kind of funny, like almost chuckle-worthy. Kind of reminds me of when Aaron Hill was an all-star back in the day. Hey, it was pretty good. He wasn't yeah, he, bad. And same as Scope, but like, you just don't expect it, do you? Yeah, I mean, Scope, a lot of people like the upside that he brings. He was dealt at the deadline a couple times. I mean, Milwaukee picked him up in 2018 as a buyer because they wanted to try and make a run. They saw him as a bat that could help them. And this Tigers team, you mentioned he is the lone representative. Just had to find him a spot on the team. A little bit tough because he was removed from last night's game with a hand injury after getting hit by a pitch, and we don't know how tough or severe that's going to be, but he's another guy that likely wouldn't be on this roster otherwise, or I guess in reality if it were to happen, but uh, got to give him a nod either way. All right, so once again, I asked this question uh, with the Jays, so I'm going to ask it here. Uh, if this injury is serious for Scope, what laughable name are the Tigers going to have in there instead of of, uh, of scope. Well, Spencer Turnbull as a pitcher isn't necessarily laughable, but he would probably be the best guy up next. But like similarly how I picked Scurriel instead of picking a guy like Ryu or Biggio for the Jays, I think what you'd most likely see is another infielder probably going their way. So I'll say Jimer Candelario has been good in his own right, and I know you said laughable name, but he actually has a better slash line right across the boards than Scope. He's going to beat an average on base and slugging. 
been really good for them. A little bit younger too, so potentially some more promise there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Scope would probably still be my guy if I had to pick. He's got he's shown a little bit more pop. He leads the team in home runs. But Candelario has been quite good himself. Okay, and and now we head to uh, the middle infielder or the back of middle infielder out of the NL. A guy I'm pretty familiar with, but from a casual fan standpoint. And by the way, he, he's been awesome the last two years. Uh, in 2018-2019, uh, 10.9 WAR combined, so that's pretty awesome. But it seems like just casually, he's been kind of put into the, the second tier of shortstops. I'm not sure if that's fair to say. I remember when he came into the league, he had that stretch where he was basically hitting everything out of the park. But yep. just another great year for Trevor Story, for sure. And I needed to get him in. And that's one of the reasons that I put Trey Turner at second base. Because there's just so many great shortstops in the National League this year between Tatis and Turner and now Story. And another guy we'll get to later on, he's been so good as well. The the Rockies, they get a lot of crap about their ballpark making it easy to hit and pitcher stuff not breaking there and whatever, but he's been doing it all. He plays great defense. He's 13 for 14 in steals. That leads the entire MLB. He's been very, very good, and like you said, he's been good for some years, and people just continue to overlook him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we head to the corner infielder in the AL, guy who I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, almost Rendoni in that he's been very awesome, but it seems like people refuse to put him in the first or second tier among the big name position players. But Jose Ramirez, uh, he had a bit of a dip, uh, I guess, last year, continuing into this year, just uh, from a hitting standpoint, but still very good. And uh, looking here, one of the Indians' three all stars. So, um, and obviously, we're going to get to. Kind of in the same level as uh, as the Mets guy, just a pitcher who's been destroying on the Indians, but we're going to get to that, like I said. Uh, but yeah, Ramirez, uh, just a, a dude who's been very good for a long part in his career. Yeah, the numbers are down just a little bit. I mean, 2017-2018, he was top three in MVP. Mm-hmm. So... Pretty high standards to try and live up to, but he's been he's been good. Him and Lindor have been right around the same kind of mark for this team. They've uh, they've both been off to pretty good starts to their season. Nothing spectacular, nothing crazy, nothing forcing them into the starting lineup in this All Star team. I mean, Lindor didn't even get a mention from me here, but the whole story for the Indians has been the starting pitching all year long. The the three guys they've got going are going strong in. Or I guess we won't even get to that quite yet. <laughs> but in his own right, uh, Jose Ramirez has looked good. The power, we're maybe seeing a little bit of a resurgence. He leads the team. And I've got him as a corner infielder here on the bench. But you know he can play. He can play some third. He can play some second. He can play some short if it's needed. Yeah. And just a pretty valuable guy all around. Uh-huh. Another corner infielder. I believe he got a, a, a bit of a shout-out for um, our comeback player of the year. But I think in the end I picked MLYs. A pick that's definitely going to be wrong. Joanna Cespedes, who opted out pretty early on in the season. Yeah. Did the regular season even commence when he opted out, or was it right before? No, it was was during the season, and that's when the team went all missing persons on it and put out a notice saying they were trying to locate him and all this stuff. But, Uh yeah, it was just as we were getting underway. Paul Goldschmidt, uh, in his pretty great career so far, 
uh, and obviously a smaller sample, 35 games. Highest WRC plus so far, 167. And uh, once again, how many times have I said this? Uh, if Jackson Farrow could perhaps count it as our biggest fan and sole listener of the podcast, uh, career highs in batting average and OBP for Paul Goldschmidt so far. Uh, he's a-, a while away, or he's far away from seasons in which he, he put up 21, 32, and 18 stolen bases in 2015, 2016, 2017, respectively. But hey, he's uh, making up for that with his bat this season for sure. Yeah, and, and when you talk about career high from base percentage, he actually leads the MLB right now with his 461 mark for on base. Just really looking good there. The Cardinals haven't played quite as much games as everyone else, so we know he's going to have a pretty busy second half, if you'll say that much. They're only 35, or I believe 36 games into their season, and so he's going to have more opportunities. But for what he's done so far, he has looked really good. I mean, the, the slash line is insane at 330, 461, 500. Really impressive there, and he's only 32. So even though you said he's out of his prime for quite some time, he's still got time to... I didn't say... I, I didn't quite say that, sorry. I, I said out of just his uh, base dealiness, which was right. pretty intriguing in the mid-2010s. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say he's out of his prime because when he was... <laughs> He was uh, top two in MVP in both 2013 and 2015. We saw him really slip last year, but looking to bounce back here, he's been good so far, and uh, yeah, he's he's not done yet, I guess we'll say. Maybe it's like the position player version of uh, Verlander, right, where he kind of had two primes, I guess. Hey, I'm sure he'd take that. <laughs> uh-huh, bit of a lull in between. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, now we head to the variety bat of the AL, uh, a guy who came into the league and became Rookie of the Year, uh, partially because he came to the league late and had an already established career uh, outside of the MLB, Jose Abreu. And um, he's been a good hitter for, you know, just about the entirety of his career. Just, you know, good hitter has sometimes meant 115 WRC+, plus and sometimes meant 167. But this year, 159. And... Uh, Absolutely killing it. Once again, one of the White Sox seven all-stars, which <laughs> like you you know more than me. Like what's the high do you think on all-stars per one team? Oh, uh, there was a team, I believe it was the Royals in twenty fifteen, yeah. that almost had all of their starters. They almost had all nine starters for the all-star game. I think it was like they had seven of nine or something like that. Which by the way was bullshit and everyone <laughs> needed to stop with that Royals team. They weren't that good. That was a that Ugh. was a fan voting thing, I think, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, I know. It, it just gives me an awful taste in my mouth that they wanted to make Omar Infante the starting second <laughs> baseman. Yeah, that's what happens when you get the fan voting in here. So this is nice, unbiased, separate opinion. That's why a guy like Francisco Lindor doesn't quite make this team, because uh-huh. in all reality, he uh, might not deserve it. Good. But here, Abreu definitely does deserve it. I mean, he's got a slugging percentage over 600 right now. Very strong. He was right up at the top of the MLB lead in home runs for some time. He's now just too shy. He's got 13, a couple back of the Cruz, Tatis, and Trout trio. But the White Sox, man, they've just been hitting. We've talked about a few of them already so far. And Abreu, a little bit older, a little bit more experienced than some of the young guys. And he's been he's been valuable so, much, so far for them. Now we go to the variety bat for the NL. Uh, Corey Seager, who... Also start off his career pretty red hot, then tailed off for 
season, and then last year is pretty good, but not quite where he was. And then this year, 164 WRC+, highest since uh, the 27-game non-rookie year he had in 2015. Uh, and and so, you know, Seager, I guess, what would you say? Top five-ish shortstop in the MLB? Is that fair to say? Yeah, maybe, yeah, five to ten, probably. I mean, I, I'm not putting him ahead of a Tatis or even yeah. a guy like Lindor who's not on this list just because what Lindor brings defensively. But Seager was the best player in all of baseball through the first four or five weeks of the season. He got hurt. He came back. Had to try and heat up. Wasn't quite the same. But we've got four shortstops on this list in the National League alone. Just a whole lot of talent there. And he's no exception. And now we head to the pitchers. And one of our reveals, the AL starter, Shane Bieber, uh, who, you know, it's, it's pretty rare when you get a pitcher in MVP conversations, but he's just been that great. So I've heard a lot of people actually mention him for that. And I mean, God damn, ninth starts 2.7 war. Like that just, it sounds insane. Uh, but also just a, a 125 ERA. So he, he's just been murderous in his ninth starts. Yeah, Bieber has really, <laughs> you look at this team, they had Kluber, they had Bauer, they had Clevenger, and Bieber has wasted no time filling that role, racking up so many strikeouts, just being absolutely dominant, and he's the reason why in a best of three, if Cleveland finishes like fifth or sixth in the AL, They've got serious upset potential against any of the top few teams, whether that's the Rays or the A's or whoever else, because Bieber alone can just almost guarantee you a win in game one with how good he's been. Yeah, 14.7 strikeouts per nine. So <laughs> pretty impressive from the Biebs. And now we're going to head to the other All-Star Game starter before we just kind of rapid fire the starters and then the relievers. Uh, out of the NL, a familiar name, a uh, very good player throughout his career, but at age 34, is it, you know, has pretty much had the best season so far in 2020. You Darvish, uh, 1.44 ERA, 2.1 WAR in eight starts, so just pretty monstrous. Not quite at the level of Beaver, but very good, and uh, I guess a good story for Darvish who. I mean, he's been pretty great throughout his career, but, you know, had uh, had some lulls there with the Dodgers and then in 2018 with the Cubs. And, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but he is going tonight. So if he gives up an eight spot or something by the time this is released, I apologize. <laughs> but like you said, he's he's been really good. And shades of kind of what we expected when he came over with those Rangers is a guy that is almost unreal. He throws seven different pitches, and he can throw all of them for strikes. He can throw all of them for out pitches, and he is probably the favorite for NL Cy Young right now. I think that's pretty safe to say. He would be starting for the All-Star game probably if uh, if they didn't give it to the New York Mets man by uh, <laughs> giving it to him just like experience-wise or resume-wise. But no, Darvish has been very good, and this is a Cubs team that Kimbrell sucked for to start the year the bullpen was really shaky and the fact that Darvish and Hendricks and a few of the other guys were able to give them so much depth to start the season a big reason that they're in first place right now 
Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I've heard just on different podcasts, I believe Buster Olney's on ESPN, I forget. It's just called Baseball Tonight, I think it is. Yep. But uh, he mentioned how Darvish was just feeling a lot more comfortable uh, this season with the Cubs. So uh, maybe that's playing a part. I'm typically not a chemistry guy. But really, who knows, especially in such a weird environment as a, you know, like a, a crowdless yeah. baseball game. Yeah, I wonder how much that really factors in. Uh-huh. But now we'll head to just just going to list off the starters. Drew, you could fill in the gaps where you want to. Uh, maybe I'll give, you know, some of the guys I'm less familiar with in which you could uh, perhaps indulge me in, in just what makes them uh, in the All-Star game. Uh, let's start in the AL. Lynn, Granke, Giolito, Maeda. Pretty familiar with all of them. Uh, Bundy, Keuchel, Gonzalez, Valdez. So could you tell me a bit on Bundy, Gonzalez, Valdez, and also just the return of Keuchel uh, being this good a pitcher? Because I believe he slowed down a bit last year and was far from where he once was as a Cy Young winner. Yeah, he, he has. Uh, didn't look so great necessarily with Atlanta last year, but... Keuchel now back with the White Sox, back in the American League. He's He's been good, and simply put, behind Giolito, we didn't really know what this staff was going to have. We didn't know what we could get from Radon, what we would get from a couple of the other younger pieces. When we heard that Kopech was opting out, it, it was just further question marks, but he's been steady, he's righted the ship, and he's he's pitched really well for them. He started what would end up being a, I believe, seven or eight game win streak by... Hyping up the team before the game, it was reported that he had his whole big speech. They went out, they won against the Cubs, and started this long winning stretch. So, Keiko, a big piece there. Framber Valdez for Houston, a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. We didn't know who would be starting for them, whether it be Josh James, who got hurt. Jose Urquidy, who got hurt. A few of the other guys, we thought Verlander would be in that rotation. He got hurt. We know they lost Cole in the offseason. The rotation almost in shambles. And Framber Valdez, just so much value kind of coming somewhat out of nowhere to really be valuable for them. Uh, I guess, you know, all the Astros haters out there, and I, I think it's fun, but I, I don't have any, you know, personal ill will towards them, as some fans do for whatever reason. Like, maybe if you're a Yanks or Dodgers fan, that makes sense, but, uh, <laughs> but whatever. I, I guess those people are probably happy to see that they've been pretty meh in, uh, in 2020 so far. Uh, and yeah, uh, as well as just Keller and Gonzalez, like, what could you tell me about those two? Well, Brad Keller for the Royals is the lone Royals representative, so he's here partially, not entirely as a as a token all-star game appearance, but he, he it is off his own merit as well. He's got a nice ERA on the season. He has looked good overall. The Royals have been a great spoiler so far against a lot of good teams, especially a lot of those National League teams. They've just taken games off of the Reds, off of the Brewers, off of the Cardinals, and Keller's been a big piece of that because we haven't necessarily seen him manifest what a lot of people were projecting him to be coming up, but these look good this year. And Gonzalez for the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez, the ace of that staff. A team not really going anywhere. A pitcher who maybe doesn't have the same type of flashy stuff that you might see from a Bieber or even from a Kenta Maeda. But he's been consistent. He's been spotting his fastball, locating it well. And he's been winning games for the Mariners. He took one off of the Dodgers just last week. All right. Uh, and now we're going to... Do the NL starters, once again, a rapid-fire fashion. So, DeGrom, shocker, our second big reveal. Freed, <laughs> Scherzer, 
Lamette, who we talked about in our uh, new season, Who Dis, and uh, I guess he, he's continued to play really well. Wheeler, Gallen, Hendricks, Bauer, Lopez. Uh, I'm assuming I pronounced Gallen wrong, so could you please uh, help me out on just who he is, as well as Lopez, because those are the two names that I'm uh, least familiar with. Well, you got Gallen right, uh, Zach Gallen. Oh, yes! <laughs> Zach Gallen Whoa. is, I guess you'd say, all-time great right away. He's only, wow. I think, 24, but he set the record, and this is pretty niche, so take it for what you will, but I think it is pretty telling. The most consecutive starts to begin his career without allowing more than three earned runs. I think that's a pretty, I think that's not too cherry-picked, it's... It's, it's not too crazy. He goes, I think, 24 consecutive starts without allowing four runs or more. That is uh, his sole possession of that record. Kind of interesting. He deserves a shout here. Arizona, not money options for a different pitcher or a different hitter. You could put Starling Marte, but of course they shipped him off to Miami at the deadline, so he wasn't really an option. And so Zach Gallen is here over a guy like, let's say, Sonny Gray who might have deserved it. He got hit hard in his last time out. So Zach Gallant makes it in. And Pablo Lopez for Miami, a guy who's really impressed me so far. This team hasn't played a regular schedule, and none of their pitchers have been on a regular schedule, but hasn't really phased Lopez. He's looked strong. He won their first game back after they returned from COVID against the Orioles. He pitched a strong outing, and he's just continued that on and, and been a very valuable piece of that staff. Yeah, and the Marlins uh, aren't nearly as hot as they were to start the year. But, I mean, if you would have told me through 37 games they'd be 19-18, and 18, I-, I would be surprised. So. We'll take that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so now we'll head to the Pens. I'm familiar with most of these dudes. Hand, Hendricks, this is a name. I know the player. I'm just, I'm, Colome, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Colome. Colome, sorry. Uh, and then Rogers Foster. Uh, let me in on Rogers and Foster. Rogers, I believe you said at one point he was one of your favorite pitchers or something when we were talking about the saves I, projections or something. You probably, uh, it's probably big. Oh, yes. Yes. I remember <laughs> why. Sorry, I was missing the first name. It's because of his mirror image twin brother. Yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, I do know who he is. Taylor and Tyler. You can tell how seriously I take the podcast from saying that, I guess. But, but yeah, he's he's been good. Um, we kind of knew what he was. He was good last year and just repeating it. Uh, lefty sinker baller closer on a Twins team that's been winning a lot of games. Uh-huh. Uh, weird line, but I guess in uh, 15 games and 14.1 innings, it kind of makes sense. 3.77 ERA, but a FIP of 1.63. So I guess a fair bit of bad luck there. How about Foster? Foster is not the closer, and he's another White Sox here, but I had to give him a shout-out because he has kind of been a utility knife for them. He started two games, he's finished a game, he's pitched mostly in relief, 13 of his 15 appearances in relief, totaling 18 and two-thirds innings with just three earned runs. So that's good enough for a 1.45 ERA, a guy they've gone to quite often, and a guy who's only 25 in his rookie year. So mm-hmm. probably uh, a guy that's going to be there for a few years. And in relief, there hasn't been too many standouts, but he's been one of them. And now time to get to the pen in the NL. Uh, Burns, Hader, Jansen, Jeffress, and uh, Pomeranz. Only one I'm not familiar with is Burns, even though I'm assuming I pronounced a name wrong in there somewhere. 
<laughs> no, Burns, Burns, you got right. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just very, I, I lack confidence with this now, being that <laughs> I, I miss layups like Lau. So, oh well. Yeah, tell me about Burns. Burns, I guess you could say, I kind of shoehorned in here because he is a starting pitcher, but he started five. He's been a reliever for three of them, so it could kind of go either way, but <laughs> he's been very good. He's a fastball slider guy, both of them break a ton his fastball is electric for the brewers he's got a 2.35 era through nearly 40 innings of work he's just been really good and his teammate hater is here and the era isn't going to dazzle you because of a recent starts of course it's good but it's good by his standards but what's absolutely insane is that he set the record for the most appearances to start a season without allowing a hit, as it took him 13 appearances before he finally surrendered a base hit. Wow. He had more than a no-hitter going if you combine all of his appearances together. Just absolutely dialed in. He allowed a run before a hit because of his control issues. But, yeah, he, he, he's got to be on this all-star team. He's been really, really good. Yeah, and he's um, he's been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball for a few years now, so, yeah. you know... I know about him for sure. And that, I think, ends it off. Our hour 15-ish recording, that'll probably get whittled down a bit, but uh, I guess a slightly longer one from us. Drew, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's it for me. All right, so thank you very much for listening to this podcast, and uh, tune in next time, hopefully.